the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing a trio of youngsters and another bullpen in flux. And we'll start things off, as always, with the most interesting player alive today, and that is Danny Salazar. And, Eno, I have two questions for you. First, I challenge you to convince me that Danny Salazar will not be the best fantasy pitcher for the rest of the year, and how much are you bidding on him in Top Wars this Sunday night? Uh, I don't think it'd be that hard because, dude, last year he had 87 innings. And this year he already has 105. So I don't know how many innings he has left. Uh, I, I love him, and it's, it's, it, it looks awesome. He has great control. And it's not just two pitches, and even if it was two pitches, it'd be great because it's 98 with the fastball, and the changeup just drops off the table, and he has a legit slider. And yes, Miguel Cabrera took him deep, you know, the fourth time he tried, but the first three times he struck out. So um, I think uh, Salazar is great, and I just want to temper people's expectations because, you know, there's Trevor Bauer waiting in the wings, and Bauer has more innings than Salazar, so... I'm not sure how long they're going to let him pitch. Yeah, but Bauer just walks everybody, so I don't think that like Bauer is going to come up for Salazar anytime soon, unless yeah, maybe there's a hard innings max in place for Salazar. But Bauer just isn't good. I mean, maybe Carlos Carrasco gets his like eighth try instead of Bauer. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that's interesting is that um, Salazar like almost doubled his strikeout rate from one year to the next. Yeah, from 2012 to 2013. So, in the minors. So, I don't know, you know, I don't know, maybe the velocity came out of nowhere and there's, you know, there's always questions when when that sort of thing happens. So, it's like, uh, maybe the team is just like, you know, this isn't a guy that has a lot of pedigree. Let's just uh, pitch him while we got him, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Otherwise, uh, you know, most teams don't go past, you know, 30, you know, even 40% is a big drop, a big jump. So, uh, you know, 40% would be like one more start or two more starts. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's true. So it, you're, you're saying it's possible that he's just going to get cut off just based on some innings max. I mean, probable unless unless they just like we're playing with house money. Nobody knows what Danny Salazar is really going to be. Let's just go with. Let's just go for it. I mean, they are, they are in it. It might have something to do with how how much they remain in the race. So, is it safe to say that you're unlikely to blow your remaining twelve dollars in Tout Wars Fab on Danny Salazar? Yeah, especially not in Tout Wars because uh, pitching's not my problem, and I've been shopping pitching to everybody who will listen. Have you gotten any offers for Doug Fister, by the way? Uh, no, I have not. Well, I mean, 
if this was like three weeks ago, it's possible I could have made an offer. But unfortunately, my entire offense is dropping like flies. Literally, every single day, I have a new player on the DL. And my latest victim is Ricky Weeks. He's probably going to be placed on the DL. But you know what? I feel like that might be a blessing in disguise because I felt the urge to continue to start Ricky Weeks every single week just because I keep on expecting him to be good. And that hasn't happened. So did you have him for his? Did, did you have him for June though? Uh, I did have him when he actually hit well. Was I? I think I traded him for him right before that. And I, I only gave up Drew Stubbs, and Drew Stubbs has been, pretty much been worthless as well. So it was basically one crappy player for another crappy player. So I didn't lose him. Hey, you got it. You got a nice month. June was a good month. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's true. But but then he returned to sucking again. So I uh, I, I I like the idea of just giving up on him and going with somebody else. But back to Salazar. The crazy thing is that he is one of those Tommy John success stories. He had Tommy John surgery, I believe it was 2011, right? Ah, there you go. Yeah, so when I was doing my research on him for the AL pitching tier update this morning, and I was wondering where did what what's the story in this guy? Because I'm looking at his minor league stats, and they were meh. Very meh. His strikeout rates weren't great. He was in the, the fringe prospect list on Sestouli's list. And I'm wondering, how is he only a fringe prospect? Because this year, he's major breakout in the minors. I looked at his history. Sure enough, Tommy John surgery. He used to be a low 90s guy. And now after the Tommy John, he's throwing mid to high 90s. And we used to always hear about that, that a lot of guys coming back from TJ surgery throw harder than they used to, and it looks like Salazar is one of those guys. So he looks completely legit to me. Um, I mean, he, right now he's averaging uh, 96 miles an hour on his fastball and getting 13% swinging strikes. He's he's looking freaking good to me. Yeah, a lot of triple-digit fastballs in his last start. Yeah, he's, he's very exciting. He's very fun to watch, too. Yeah, I haven't been able to watch him yet, but... If the worst thing you're going to do is give up a home run to Miguel Cabrera after striking out him out three times, I think we can forgive him for that. <laughs> now, speak, speaking of pitching, today Jeff Samarja got rocked again, nine runs, three and a third innings. And this was actually the second time in his last six starts that he's allowed nine runs. Um in well since july in july he had an era of 528 june 420 what is going on here is there something to be concerned about or is this just the the standard up and down that any pitcher is going to experience during a season um you know i'm somewhere in between he you know he's still got three strikeouts today he didn't anyone in the past he's had troubles with walks so uh, i don't know I don't know what that's about. Um, I don't really know why he you just got lit up today. 11 hits and 22 batters face. It's pretty bad. Uh, a a Babbitt over 500. But, um, you know, I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, the velocity is down a little bit. Uh, it's down from 90, averaging 95 to averaging 93, 94. Um, and, you know, that's still good velocity. But we did learn, you know, that... That velocity over ninety five, over ninety four, uh, is a big deal, and so he right now he's sitting ninety four, and he doesn't have as many fastballs over ninety four. But you know, I looked at his velocity today, and I saw a lot of ninety fives, ninety six in the third inning, uh, and you know, he didn't make it much further. So, 
Um, I uh, I don't know what it was. I would I would love to be able to say, oh look, you know, look at those walks he had today because sometimes he has trouble with the control. But maybe the uh, are they in Wrigley? Maybe the wind was blowing out today. No, they were in Philly. And Citizens Bank Park obviously is also a home run friendly venue. So I mean that can explain it. But I mean I, I was just thinking that. It's just random fluctuation of ERA, his overall season stats. I mean, his skills are basically identical to what he did last year. And it's just random variation. But, I mean, a guy like Samarjo, who we know, yes, even though he obviously has improved his control from prior seasons, he still doesn't have great control. And he still is um, at risk of not having it for a month at a time. And last month, his uh, walk rate was near five a game, uh, five per nine innings, which is walk rate. And so far, the first start of the month, he allowed uh, five walks and six innings as well. So his control just hasn't been sharp since the beginning of July. And I don't know. I I don't really think it's something long-term to be uh, worried about. I I think it's just he doesn't have great control, and this is just going to happen. I mean, one start here, one start there, he's just not going to have it. And it just so happened that it's – happen a couple of games in a row so yeah, and I think we can learn a little bit from other split finger pitchers um, in order to throw the split finger you have to be ahead in the count pretty much because it's not uh, a pitch you can throw for strikes um, you know that was one thing he sort of he almost laughed at me when I when I asked him in our interview about throwing uh, the splitter for strikes and um, you know so when you look at a guy like Kuroda and Iwakuma, they have great control. And so they are in counts where they can use the, the split finger more often. So that is that could be a, a thing for, for Samarja if he's not getting ahead with the fastball, then he can't use the split finger. And, you know, then he has to use the slider, and maybe they can hit his slider better than the split finger because the split finger is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and the fastball is awesome. So it's like just a little bit of command problems can lead to – his whole sort of pitching philosophy falling apart a little bit. Yeah, and actually Ryan Dempster is a pretty good comp for Samarja in terms of control because Dempster is also a big, a big splitter guy, and he does not have good control. So that's a better comp for Samarja than somebody like Kuroda and Iwakumo who actually do have good control. And, yeah. And obviously Dempster has been pretty awful this year, and everything has basic, basically been worse than in years past. Samarja's- well, that, that's a little bit of an age thing too, though. Yeah, yeah, Samarja is definitely better than that, but I think Dempster is an interesting comp in terms of not great control, and if that splitter command isn't there, then it's going to be a problematic game for him. But, I mean, I would side on the buy low on Samarja if anybody is panicking. And, uh, you know, I said before we started the podcast that I actually got IM'd from uh, another writer in the industry, the Roto Professor, Eric Stashin, rotoprofessor.com, he asked me what's wrong with Samarja. And I basically said the same thing as I'm saying right now, that it seems like just random variation. And if people are panicking, then uh, I would take advantage. And I, I still I still love Samarja, and I still consider him uh, one of the better starting pitchers in the National League. Of course, you know, uh, run support is to be hard to come by. But banking on wins, uh, I mean, obviously, it's not something that you really want to chase anyway. So I would buy low on him. Perfect, perfect guy if you, if you need strikeouts. I mean, yeah, there's a bit of a whip concern. But, uh, you know, when you're, when you're looking for strikeouts this late in the game, you need to get it everywhere. And you need your starters to give you a strikeout per inning. 
and uh, no one's going to give you bulk strikeouts like a like a starter like Samarja. So uh, if you need to make some headway in strikeouts, I would definitely buy low on him. You know, the fun thing about a bad team like the Houston Astros is that it seems like every week they call up a new player who has potential fantasy impact that we can analyze. And Robbie Grossman is one of them. Obviously, he's not a, a real recent call, call up, but he is a guy who is a rookie and somebody that has some interesting potential this year. And I never heard of the guy before this year, but he was somebody that has been hot recently. I know he's been picked up in several leagues of mine. And uh, Howard Bender wrote a, a very nice article about him this morning as well. And he's a guy who might actually have some real nice value in OBP leagues. You know, how much do you like him? Does he have uh, value outside of OBP leagues, though? Well, you know, he does have the 24% strikeout rate. That, that's not, you know, George Springer is, a, is, a, is an Astros prospect that people are talking about. Um, and he has a lot of power and speed, but he has a 30% strikeout rate in the minor leagues. So, uh, you know, he, he's fringe to even, I think, contribute in the major leagues unless he really fixes that. I mean, Brett Jackson had a 30% strikeout rate in the minor leagues, and he hasn't done anything. So um, I think uh, Springer uh, looks like a major leaguer. I mean, not uh, Springer. Grossman looks like a major leaguer to me. Uh, you know, a 24% strikeout rate is definitely not, you know, extreme. But it does limit your chances to get the ball in play, and it does limit your batting average upside. And even if he has a good level swing and has some speed and will have a nice BABIP, I don't think he could hit more than 270. So I'd rather project him for around 250 with uh, about league average power and nice wheels. So, I mean, I would pick him up mostly for the steals, uh, and I, that's why I have him in AL labor. And uh, uh, I actually got lucky because I had him early in the season, dropped him, and then I got him back again, and I'm pretty happy to get him back because I think he'll, he'll start most of the way and, uh, and give you steals. You know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to come up with uh, a way to project uh, a hitter's strikeout rate. And I was looking at all the plate discipline stats and everything. And, you know, we would normally look at swinging strike rate, contact percentage and stuff. But one of the plate discipline metrics that wasn't as obvious but obviously factors in here is swing percentage. And I remember looking at Stephen Drew and thinking, huh, how come he strikes out at basically a league average or worse than league average clip if he doesn't swing and miss all that often? And it looked like the answer was the fact that he just doesn't swing that often. He swings much less often than the league average. And now I'm looking at Robbie Grossman's play discipline stats, and it looks like the exact same issue. Robbie Grossman's swinging strike rate is actually well below or, or much better than the league average. Makes decent contact, so you wouldn't expect him to have strikeout rate problems. But he just doesn't swing. So he kind of just stands there, and, and, and that explains his high walk rate because he swings so infrequently, and he never swings at balls outside the strike zone, which is a positive. But he just doesn't uh, swing that often, which means that he probably takes a lot of called strike threes, which is what is contributing to his high strikeout rate. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty intense, actually. He swings 10% less than the league average. That's, uh, that's probably – he's probably one of the, you know, the leaders in not swinging. Um, so I, yeah, that's kind of funny. I didn't, I didn't notice that right away. Uh, but yeah, the swing strike rate isn't, isn't so bad. I do think that, um, I'd like, I, I like him as a player and, and Carson, he's been on Carson's sort of fringe list for a while. And I, that's why I've been, uh, watching him. Um, you know, it's nice to see that, 
in double A, he has struck out less than 20% before um, in 2012 with the Pirates. And I think it's probably easier to take a guy who doesn't swing a lot and has a bit of a passive approach but can tell balls and strikes and tell him, all right, now let's, now let's start swinging at some pitches than it is to take a guy who swings at everything and misses is everything and, and try to fix that you also have to think that if he does change up his approach a bit maybe his swinging strike rate goes up a little bit but that would boost his power because yeah. uh and, and you wonder which package would be a more productive player that would be an interesting i mean remember when adam dunn was supposedly making the transition it didn't work and then maybe he went back to his old adam dunsian ways so you just wonder which combination works best for him but he seems like a guy who's better in real life and not as good in fantasy unless he can continue stealing bases then obviously that'll give him some fantasy value but he doesn't have much power and he's probably not going to contribute in batting average given that strikeout rate so unless you're in an obp league he's probably not going to be real valuable for fantasy players yeah right now he's a deep leaguer but uh and i think you're right too because he can play uh, defense at all three outfield positions, so he's he's a useful real life piece. Definitely good patience. Um, I think, that, but I think you know the nice thing about that for deep leaguers is that since he doesn't have like a big flaw, you know that that will cause him to lose his job. You can in a deep league you can you can pick him up and say you know what I'm gonna slot this guy in and he probably you know it doesn't look like he'll lose his job because the Astros suck. They need outfielders that can that can play and this guy can play so. Yeah, uh, you know, but for the for the shallower leaguers, you know, you, you need excellence, and it's not sure that we're going to get excellence right away. You, you just have to have a manager in Bo Porter that appreciates on base percentage and can look past maybe a 240 or 250 average and see the 340 on base percentage, which is solid enough to stay in the lineup. And I don't know. I, I guess I'm not familiar enough with Bo Porter to know if I would be confident that he's going to keep somebody in the lineup batting 240. Although Chris Carter has pretty much stayed in the lineup all season long with a similar. I mean, he's batting like 210 right now. He's been benched the last couple of games supposedly to, to work on his swing and blah blah blah. But I mean, they've been p- pretty patient with the guy considering his batting average. And obviously, he's hitting home runs, and and Robbie Grossman isn't. But it is a good sign that they've, for the most part, kept him in the middle of the lineup looking at the fact that he still has an OBP above 300. So that, that gives me confidence that Bo Porter uh, does have some appreciation for on-base percentage and isn't going to strictly look at batting average. Yeah, and that's also team baseball prospectus over there. So uh, oh, that's true. That is true. If, if any team values on-base percentage, it's the Astros. Right. I forgot Luno and then uh, oh, the guy from... Mike Fast. Mike Fast, yes. Fast blocks. Kevin Goldstein. Right, of course. I think even a couple interns. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move along to a last bullpen situation. I'm so tired of talking about bullpens. I honestly hope that this is the last bullpen situation we ever have to talk about for the rest of the season. That, that's not going to be – that's not going to happen. It's <laughs> not going to happen. We need to be optimistic. <laughs> hey, we got Yasiel Puig from uh, away from the top search for players. So let's be optimistic about bullpens. All right. And, and Puig's walking, so I, I can't believe people aren't checking that out. Uh, well, what other bullpen situation do you think we're going to end up talking about? Which one are you about to ask me about? Uh, the Mets. Yeah, the Mets. <laughs> so, seriously, LaTroy Hawkins? Closer? Really? Yeah, it's so weird, too, because he used to be like a big high strikeout guy, you know, that you know was a little bit volatile and had been tried in the closer role a couple times that hadn't worked out. 
And now he's like a ground ball guy with great control that's a little bit less volatile. And uh, they've decided that's the package they want. I guess Ardsma, Ardsma is kind of not necessarily that much better. Well, he's got uh, Hawkins has better control than Ardsma, so I think I would be more. Plus, he's an extreme fly ball pitcher. I, I would be much more confident in Hawkins than Ardsma, and that's not that's not a very good compliment. Uh, I mean, that's like quite the insult if you're much more confident in Hawkins than another relief pitcher. That's not that's not really a good sign, but. Hawkins' problem, and, and why I'm not super confident that he's going to be a very successful closer while Parnell is out, is he's just not been very good against right-handers, which is strange because I immediately looked at the splits. So, you know, we always talk about uh, right-handed uh, relievers, the fastball slider guys, can they get lefties out? Hawkins has been better against lefties than righties, both this year and last year. Uh, I mean, if you look at his career stats... He's been pretty much the same against both, but his career has been so long, and he's been a, a starter early in his career, and he was bad. So I don't think it's really uh, smart to look at career stats. But the fact is, he's been better against lefties than righties. And if you're a right-handed closer and you're not good against righties, that's that's not a real good sign that you're going to be very successful in the closer role. But I don't know who else they can possibly put there that would be any better. Yeah, I mean. One one thing that's interesting is that I, I wonder if this plays a role. I'm not sure, but um, you know, there's there's this idea that Bobby Parnell is trying to avoid uh, season-ending surgery, um, and uh, if he does have season-ending surgery and it and it is a big deal and it's something that might go into next year, I think there's a possible chance that instead of Hawkins, which is he's kind of like. Uh, you know, uh, fill in the gap kind of guy that they start looking at their younger guys for someone who could start the season next year as um, as a as a closer. So um, I'm not sure if they've got that guy. Josh Edgen's pretty interesting, but he's a lefty. Um, and you know, Gonzalez German. Uh, while I uh, am pro all things German, um, you know, I he hasn't really shown the control yet. But I guess you know, German could be. You know, he's got a 93-mile-an-hour fastball, slider change, doesn't look like, you know, he looks like a platoon buster. He's got the good swing and strike rate. He has had way better control in the minor league. So um, I guess there's an outside chance they try someone like German if, uh, and I'm probably saying his name terribly, uh, <laughs> that uh, if, if Parnell actually has surgery and it turns out to be a big deal. I don't know. The only other pronunciation I can think of is Hermen. I know I've heard him being pronounced on Mets broadcast, but I can't remember at the moment. But the thing with the Mets is this is a team that's perfectly happy to keep Marlon Byrd, even though they're hopelessly out of it. So you have to assume that, hey, Troy Hawkins, he's like 60 years old. He fits perfectly on our team. You are the closer (laughs) for the rest of the year. I mean, this is typical Mets moves that fans have complained about since, you know, I became a baseball fan at like age nine, age eight is that they, they love their old veterans. And, I mean, they're, they're the same team. Obviously, it's different GMs, but they're the same team that traded for Mo Vaughn, uh, Roberto Alomar, all of these guys past their prime, and then they got it, all of their performance on the downside. In, in their defense, the, the new regime's defense, I'll say that in the past, uh, the old veterans all came on big deals and, and you know, traded for and free agency. You know, this regime's veterans are all one-year, waiver-wire, scrap-heap, you know, here's a million dollars kind of deal. So 
I mean, I, I, I was a little disappointed they, they couldn't they didn't trade Bird. But if you look at Bird, he's thirty like thirty five, busted for PEDs, having a career power year at his age. Um, maybe they couldn't get anything for him. Maybe all the offers were just like, well, eh, why don't we just win a couple more games because we've got him? Then you know, take your uh, guy that has like no chance of making the majors. Yeah, it's true. I mean, sometimes you just have to give credit to the other GMs. I mean, we've seen so many bad moves in off seasons that you, <laughs> you you think that these GMs are just not very good. But hey, maybe they've brightened up and they they see Marlon Bird as not somebody that can possibly help their team. So right, well, like contenders who need outfield help. I mean, uh, that might that might describe the Rangers. I mean, do you think John Daniels is going to give you a real prospect for Marlon Bird? Well, hey, they could have traded for like a an interesting reliever that could potentially be their future closer i you know that was my argument i was saying that even if the guy if he's a bad starter you know but you like a pitch or two of his why don't you trade for him as a starter and make him a reliever or or just trade for a reliever i mean it's not like your bullpen next year is all set you know it's like you, you know everybody can use relievers so uh i'm sort of surprised maybe they think they're gonna they're not gonna give him a qualifying offer 14 million dollars you're not gonna <laughs> offer marlon bird 14 million dollars he's gonna take that jackpot shit. oops i said a bad word I, I i missed it so we'll pretend it didn't happen okay i was gonna say <laughs> jackpot so i think it may have not been audible but <laughs> i guess uh, i guess we'll hear it in the comments if, if move on <laughs> well i, I want to move on actually to your nl outfielder uh tier update and I, I read through the comments and I wanted to see if there were any specific players that uh, were debated a lot and what I found was more beer comments than player comments. <laughs> only only your articles are they going to talk more about beer in the comments than the actual players that you rank. Yeah, that was my, I, I use beers to do the tiers so uh, so I guess that's... Tears uh, that of beers? Yeah, tiers You're of beers. <laughs> so I mean, of all the players that you ranked, I, I don't have any gripe, really. I don't – nothing that screams out to me, Eno, what are you thinking? But I, I wanted to talk about Adam Eaton because he was a big-time sleeper heading into the season. Obviously, had that elbow injury. He was out until, like, the All-Star break. And he's been a zero-category contributor so far this year. Actually, maybe you could say a one-category. He does have 11 runs in 20 games, which is on pace to – Contribute slightly in, in, in mixed leagues. But other than that, zero home runs, zero steals, and only one attempted steal. And he's only batting 222. What is the deal here? And are you Walk coming <laughs> a little – what? Walk rate. I mean, in, in, in six by sixes, he's got one – he's got another category. Oh, yeah. OBP 319. I guess that's not a negative, but not whole like not very positive. But, I mean, are you getting a little more pessimistic on him or are you just thinking sure. I mean, it up – You'll be a big sleeper again next year, and and then next year you'll be the breakout guy. I mean, what are you thinking here? Well, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't call him a big sleeper next year because, um, you know, the the power is a big question mark. Because if he he's showing no power power right now, but we know that power takes a while to show. Uh, but it, it is worth pointing out that this is the kind of line that he risks showing uh, at a couple points for batting average because he probably should have a, a three hundred plus BABIP. Uh, considering his tools, so uh, you know, is it is he going to be a two two fifty hitter with no power and a lot of speed? He's going to be like a Juan Pierre type with walks uh, and defense. You know, I just mentioned that because it's real life. But um, you know, is he going to be a Juan Pierre type or is he going to actually show some of that nation power that he showed in the minor leagues? I mean, 
there were a couple of times when he when he had league average power in the minor leagues. So, um, you know, if he can have league average power and walk and play center field defense and strike out less than 20 percent of the time, we're still talking about a guy who can hit 280, 290, uh, 10 to 15 homers, 30, 40 steals. I mean, he stole 38. He stole he stole 46 bases last year. So you're talking about a guy who still has Jacoby Ellsbury uh, type upside, and it's still there. It's just a really bad year, I think. I mean, he he had the elbow problem. Uh, it's his rookie year. He's not being played every day. Um, so you know, I still think he has that upside. I will, you know, look to acquire him in my deeper dynasties, and I will draft him next year. I'm not, I guess, in mixed leagues, but you know, last last bench spots. You know, like final two three rounds. Yeah, he also has the same problem as Robbie Grossman. Uh, he makes really great contact, uh, contact when he swings, but his swing percentage is well below the league average. So he's another guy who just kind of stands around and doesn't take his bat off the sho- his shoulders. So that explains why the, the strikeout rate isn't great this year, but why he has great uh, walk rates. But my biggest concern, well, first of all, for next year, I want to make sure that the Diamondbacks clear out that outfield logjam just so I know Adam Eaton is their everyday starter and he's not going to be benched like twice a week because that just totally destroys his value because they have uh, a lot of good outfielders this year and Eric Chavez's resurgence has pushed Martin Prado into left field a lot of times and and that gave them another outfielder they didn't even expect to have. So that's wrecking wreaking havoc on his playing time. But aside from the playing time issues, what worries me most is his stolen bases because he just strikes me as a type that doesn't have blazing speed and you just can't be confident that he's going to run real often. I mean, last year he only attempted five steals on pace over a full season, about 30, which let's say would be about 20 to 25 actual steals. That's not great. If he's only going to hit you five to 10 home runs, then 10, 20, it's, it's pretty good, but... I just expected more than that. I expected a potential 40-steal guy over a full season, and it just doesn't seem like he's necessarily interested in stealing that often. Well, I think that, I mean, stealing 46 bases in the minor leagues over over the course of a season suggests to me that he does have 40-steal-and-base-type talent. But I do think that it's hard for a rookie to come in, uh, and he's trying to show his, his manager that he plays the game the right way. It's hard for that guy who doesn't know the pitchers, who, you know, is now seeing pitchers that have better moves, better pickoff moves, you know, and he's seeing more athletic catchers with better throws and stuff. So I think, personally, I think he's, you know, trying to find his way and trying to learn learn the lay of the game. And, and I think he'll steal more. And I think also that has something to do with, like, how often you're playing. Because if you don't, if you're not in the lineup every day, you really, really don't want to get caught stealing. Because that's like, one of those things where the manager gives you the bad look, and uh, and then you uh, you know you don't get you don't you're not on the lineup the next day. Um, so I, I think that's that's a little bit of an issue. What's going on there? I, I've now got uh, the cots um, uh, up just to see what the outfield looks like next year. Uh, Jason Kubel has a 14 million dollar option. I doubt they're going to pick that up. So no. He's- and, and speaking of Kubel, I am quite confident that he's actually playing injured I know there was some something about a, a back injury that you know he it was out a couple of days due to something with his back I am very confident that he's been playing through that all season long because I'm, I'm trying to bring up 
uh, Jeff Zimmerman's baseball heat maps, the batted ball distance, and it's really slow right now. But I'm pretty sure the last time I checked, his distance was down to like 260 and change feet. And I think last year he was at like 290. So he's down significantly. Uh, he's at – oh, I'm kidding. He's at 283 this year. Last year he was at – let's see. Last year he was at 302. So he's lost 20 feet of distance this year, and that's not really normal. So I'm thinking the distance being down combined with the complete lack of power, he can't be completely healthy right now. Yeah, and actually we should get Zimmerman on that because he, he has a good injury predictor for, for position players now. So uh, we'll have to see if uh, pain and hurt – uh, you know, find something in him. But, um, yeah, I mean, Kubel could be definitely be hurt. He's also like a DH running around in the outfield, so I don't think they're going to give him $14 million. So, um, right now, the outfielders under contract are Cody Ross, uh, Para, huh. um, and Prado. Interruption. I swear I didn't look at this before the show. Jason Kubel ranks fourth in hurt. By the way, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yep. See, so, it works. Kubel's probably hurt. And, uh, you know, so I guess with, with Ross, Para, and Prado, you could actually, you know, play an everyday outfield without Eaton. But, you know, Para is a little miscast in center field, I think. Um, and uh, Ross really hits lefties best. Um, so. There's definitely some cracks in there. And, and then Prado, you know, could be used on the infield. I don't think that they're counting on Eric Chavez next year. No, I would think that Prado is going to return to, to third base and the Diamondbacks are going to count their blessings, thank Eric Chavez for a wonderful year, and that's it. And then the outfield will probably be Eaton and Pollock in center, you know, Para in left and, and Ross in right, and then they'll do some, you know, do some moving around in order to take advantage of um, – of platoon splits. Yeah, I mean, if I don't know if Eaton has had trouble versus lefties in the minors, but if he's going to be platooned again with AJ Pollock getting starts against lefties, and that that again is just not a great situation for fantasy owners. Yeah, I, I would I would leave him into the bench rounds, but you know uh, I do like you know I like to I like to draft in the beginning rounds. I like to draft guys who have power and speed. You know, the five category guys. It's, I'm not you know this isn't groundbreaking news here, but. Um, I like to I like to get my speed as like an afterthought. I want to get guys who are good at everything and including speed. And then you know it's easier in the middle rounds to find guys that are flawed in some way and don't have power and speed. And I don't like to spend a lot of money on like Juan Pierre types. So uh, I usually let speed go until I'm in the bench rounds, and then I look around for you know speedy backup middle infielders that might take a job or a guy like Eaton. So. I think I'll probably end up with Eaton on some teams next year. Yeah, uh, just going to be monitoring that playing time situation. But, yeah, he'll probably be a sleeper on many lists as well. Uh, were you surprised, now moving on to Cleveland, by the DFA of Mark Reynolds? I mean, this is a guy who, in April, had a huge month, eight home runs. He actually hit 301, which may have been the first time in his career that he actually batted over 300 in any month. But... DFA'd out of nowhere, and does that surprise you? And do you think he's going to latch on with maybe the Orioles, or I think somebody on my Twitter feed mentioned possibly the Yankees? I mean, 
the only thing that surprises me is that like people thought he'd changed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he, he has a he has a career batting average of two thirty three, and in the last four years, uh, two twenty one was his high. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, yeah, his on base percentage the last four years has gone between three oh seven and three thirty five. So he's He's not a useless player, but the problem is that his defensive third is falling apart or, or never was that good. So now you're talking about a first baseman, you know, with the 330 on base percentage, you know, and, and his power is sort of falling by the wayside this year. So I, I, uh, I am not going to pick him up, even in my deep league. And uh, even in my deep league where I'm playing Michael Young at third base and an 18-teamer, I don't think I, uh, I, don't think I want Mark Reynolds. Um, and it's an OBP league, but um, I do have breaking, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. Nino Ferris gets Carl Crawford from Paul Greco and six FAAB dollars, and Paul Greco gets Gregor Blanco and Doug Fister. Wow. So it's funny because when I had my trading 401 article, posted on Tuesday. I mentioned the fact that there has only been five trades all season in Tower Wars, and I was involved in four of them, which is very unlike me. So congratulations for making only the sixth trade in the league. I think it's really hard to make trades in the Experts Leagues. And uh, something clicked for me this year where I, I, I think that Jonah has said something like the uh, just screw it philosophy when it comes to, to drafting. I... I have been doing really well in most of my leagues this year. And I was like, you know what? I've accrued so much value with my good drafting that I can lose value in trades, you know, (laughs) if I get what I need. You know what I mean? That, you know, it's okay for me to not win the trade on value. Like, I don't need to focus on beating everybody. I need to focus on what my team needs. So, um, you know, this is exactly what I wrote in my Trading 401 article that you may have not read, which is fine. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, I mean, the focus of that is saying that at this point in the season, that throw value out the window, it's fine to overpay just as long as you are getting what you need and you feel like it's going to be a net gain based on your position in the the categories. So I've actually – I've completed way more trades than I I ever have this year. And, uh, you know, I'm fine with it. I think – you know, I've lost some. I've lost some doozies, man. I, uh, I've definitely lost some trades this year, but uh, and I don't even want to admit to some of them. But uh. <laughs> wait, I'm curious. Did this trade? Did you propose this to him, and he just accepted it? Yeah. Because I've never the the idea of trading fab is new to me. Because I've never been. I mean, my own home league uses fab, but none of my other leagues. Well, Labor uses Fab in Tout Wars, but I've never been in a league that you can trade Fab until Tout Wars. And I think that's really interesting. So I, I thought it would be funny if you like negotiated how much Fab to give up, but I guess he just... No, I mean, the thing was, I actually, you know, I personally would trade Gregor Blanco and Doug Fister for Carl Crawford just because of the way my team is. It needs um, runs and it needs stolen bases. Um, and Gregor Blanco is slowing down and, and, and... And he's Gregor Blanco. And he's not scoring runs. And uh, Blanco, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And I've got some pitching on the way in. And then I noticed, you know, I was just about to do it just like that. And then I noticed they had 56 fab and I have like 12. Uh, So I was just like, hey, I'll just ask for some money, especially since I think there are going to be some interesting pitchers on the wire that I can now acquire 
whether they be relievers or starters, I can now acquire them to sort of uh, try and uh, recover some of the Doug Fister value. Yeah, I think that was a good move, and I, I like that, trying to get the fab. The only thing I would have suggested is go all out. Be like, all right, give me 12. 25 fab. Yeah. Just negotiate the fab. If he says no, can't, all right, 20 fab, no. All right, 15 fab until you finally get down because – Fab is so hard to value, and when you have over 50 with only a month and a half left. He probably, yeah, he probably didn't even think about it. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, but that's helpful because now having a lot of fab basically means at this point you could have whoever you want, even though you're not going to get that much of an impact. At least you know, whoever I want, I'm going to get. And, I mean, that basically is what happened when I picked up Danny Farquhar because I – I, be, I I had not the most, but you know I was middle of the pack, but I had enough knowing that, all right, I'm going to bid a lot because he's probably going to be the most valuable player remaining if he's the closer all season. And so and I, I'll be, I, you know, I saw that number, and I, I had 12, and I saw that you went to 13, and I was like, well. I know. I bid 21, I think. Oh, uh, because it, it's the kind where they, they just take uh, the they just take what the money that they that needs to win, right? Right, a dollar over the next highest bid. So yeah. that's why bids in Tower Wars are a lot higher than in my labor league. Yeah, yeah, labor is hard. Um, so uh, I really like that uh, that deal for you, by the way. I, I noticed that one, and and the reason that I like it is that what Tom the, uh, the the Stanton for Chu and uh, no, no, no the, I like that one too, but the the Farquhar pickup because oh, oh. Uh, Will Helmson is now uh, starting in the minor league. No, I think he's he just started. Just there was a, a situation. I don't remember what the the reason was, but he's not going to be a starter. It, it was just a, a one time thing to get him work or something. But he's going to be really. Yeah, that's what I read. I thought he went like three innings. Right. It was just the first outing. Um, oh. For whatever reason, I I know there was an explanation, but but okay. the word is no, he's not going to be a starter. He's, well, that's still that, he still seems pretty far away. I mean, yeah, yeah. Close. It seems like unless Farquhar starts to pitch poorly again with that uh, the high BABIP and and, and whatever, right. then he he should be in no danger of losing the job. You know, I actually wrote a piece today for Getting Blanked um, where uh, this was kind of fun. I, 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 so I, I predicted Parker Har would get the job uh, now, because from, for the score.com, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I read that. I think I read that from a tweeted link or something in my timeline. The, the thing that was I thought was interesting about it was so. Um, I, I predicted Farquhar, and I did that based on you know Medina's uh, platoon splits and the fact that he's just a fastball slider guy and he has no control of the of the slider. Um, so I was like, well, okay, that worked. Can I now use that you know as like a as a roadmap for the future? Um, but then I went and looked, and there've been a ton of fastball slider closers. Um, and so then I was like, all right, what if? It's uh, sliders that break up, down instead of side to side. And there's a little bit of something there. So, you know, that's a little bit granular maybe for some of our listeners. But if you really want to get in there and you're looking at uh, pitchers that could close in the future, I do think there is something to, um, if they if, if a slider is a secondary pitch, look at the slider and look and see if it's a very sweeping horizontal slider or if it's more of an up-down slider. And if it's more of an up-down slider, then you've got basically like a Joel Hanrahan type situation where he's got a fastball and he's got basically a, a baby curve. I mean, people call Kimbrel's pitch a slider, but it's a curveball. Uh, so it's an up-down slider. And, uh, and that's, that's important, I think, because if it's left to right, then, then lefties get a little bit of an advantage. 
And this is precisely why I love fantasy baseball so much and baseball in general, because there's literally no end to the types of analysis and things that you can project <laughs> that you can do. Seriously. I mean, if you love numbers and stats, which I obviously do, then it's just like you have a field day, all the types of things. I mean, you're you're thinking about trying to project closers and save totals based on the repertoire of a reliever. That's freaking awesome. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, and that's something that you could actually run studies on. Now, I can't do that because I don't have like the SQL knowledge like you do, but it's something that one could do, and it just never ends, and that's just fun. Yeah, yeah, I Talking to Jonathan Lucroy, I'm, I'm going to have an interview up tomorrow with Lucroy about catcher framing and defense, and uh, he had he gave me an idea for for research that uh, I don't think I've ever seen before. So I uh, I'm going to try and work with Jeff Zimmerman on uh, do catchers uh, uh, do better when they face pitchers they've caught before. Um, oh, because- that yeah, you know, I think when you watch games on TV where there's a, a catcher on a new team, and he is facing a pitcher that you know he had caught, and they do talk about it, and they, they say, oh, he's obviously familiar. And as a viewer, you wonder if there's really a case here that can be quantified. Do they hit better because they're familiar with the pitches and, and their patterns? So it definitely makes sense to study that. Yeah, yeah, and he's and I was like, I was asking him, is it make does it make it harder on you as a catcher? To catch, like, do you get tired late in the games? And and I have seen some research on that and whether or not catchers are worse in their third and fourth uh, plate appearances and stuff like that. And I don't think that the research found anything. And 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 he said the same thing. He said we catch all the time. We we've caught since the minors. We we, we dedicate our bodies to being able to catch. So you know, seven seven innings, eight innings, nine innings. It's not a big deal. You know, that's. <laughs> that's like that's like a day at work. You know, I, I'm tired at the end of the game, but I'm not tired in the game. This is what I've trained to do. So uh, he said, no, I think more, more it's helped me when I've seen a pitcher that um, when I when I'm facing a pitcher that I've caught before, I know exactly what he likes to do, where the pitchers are going, what kind of off speed stuff he has, you know, what he can what he can control, what he can't. So uh, I thought that was very interesting. So I'm going to try and work with Zimmerman on that. Maybe one of our readers will scoop me now that I've now that I've admitted to it, but uh, it's not an easy one. It's actually not an easy one to figure out um, in terms of research. But um, I'm going to try and do it. Well, I have to be honest. I think that I would be tired crouching after just one batter. So the fact that <laughs> seriously, imagine you know go on the floor and crouch. How long can you crouch before getting tired? I would say like a minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, maybe I'm just really out of shape or. I guess you have to practice crouching for that long, but crouching for a full game and then catchers who go extra innings is just mind-boggling to me, how you can sit in that position for so long. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, right now, I, I just uh, I got a high ankle sprain um, playing basketball yesterday. DL for you? Uh, huh? DL? Are you going on the DL? I am on the DL. I got my my, my foot is in ice and it's oh. on the, off the ground and there's no way I'm crouching. I can barely... I'm hobbling around the house, and it's all black and blue, and uh, life sucks a little bit. But uh, it was fun, fun, definitely fun. Talk. I love talking baseball with you, man. It's uh, that definitely made me feel a little better. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love you too. <laughs> On that positive note, after the negative note of your ankle. <laughs> That's going to do it for us. So join us again on Sunday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.